0: I don't usually talk too much about products, but tonight I am going to talk to you about a number of products I've come across that I feel will be useful for a lot of people to enhance their sex lives and or their relationships. We're going to talk about those products tonight here on the show that uh, where we talk about that secret society, that secret society known as sex. Where everybody's doing it, well, that's actually getting harder and harder for me to believe. But for sure, no one is talking about it. Well, except me, of course, every Sunday night here on the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980, the show where we educate everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. I'm a researcher, blogger, clinician tedx stanley park 2016 speaker on the sexless marriage and your resource to help start that conversation answer your questions and help you discover new and exciting things about sex love and your body your relationship too i make no innuendos no judgments and certainly no apologies just fearless straight up talk about sex i guarantee it will be illuminating enlightening and fun so please stay with me Put the kidlets to bed as listener discretion is advised. We will be talking about S-E-X. So, lovely to be here with you in your living rooms or your bedroom, whatever room you've decided to listen to the show in. If it's your first time listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show, welcome. If you have been here with me before, it's so great to have you back. And it is my pleasure, as always, to be back with you. So, some of those products I want to talk to you tonight about uh, on the program are some sexy new underwear for you. Also, the Cripper Gynotroph feels like a facelift, and uh, which uh, I have a great story about that. I don't know if you've heard about that before, but uh, and then this uh, information about this particular product was sent to me by at least. 10 people, a friend of mine who is a lawyer sent it to me, another friend of mine who's in social media sent it to me, another person who's in in traditional media sent it to me, Uh, a couple of healthcare professionals sent it to me as well, so you'll have to stay tuned and uh, wait to hear what that product is, but uh, first I'd like to say hello to my board operator Matt, hello Matt. How you doing? I'm fine, thanks, how are you?
1: Yeah, great, I'm really interested to hear about these underwear you're uh, talking about, (laughs) I need some new underwear. (laughs)
0: Oh, and you might like these too, Matt. <laughs> well, that's great. You'll have to see them. I'm really excited about them, actually. And I was talking to a number of patients in my clinical practice this week, and they are excited about them as well. So so that's good. You're keeping well?
1: Oh, yeah. Fantastic.
0: Oh, good. Well, thanks for uh, doing the music for me tonight. I oh, I'm really so happy to be back, that. as always, every oh, Sunday. Oh, well, that's just so sweet, Matt. That's so nice of you. It's so nice to have somebody... Uh, that uh, believes in the show and is supportive of it. and uh, it's great. I didn't
1: think that I could learn this much while I was at work. I mean, I thought I was going to school to learn stuff, but it's happening here too. Oh, so.
0: that's so nice of you to say, Matt. Well, that's great. Well, hopefully the listeners are learning out there as well. And if they have any questions, they can call 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Our lines are open. I probably have some prizes to uh, give away tonight as well. Certainly I have a, at least a copy of my book and uh, there's a reason that I'm gonna be talking about my book, tonight: Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. Uh, and that has to do with a little bit of uh, my guilt. Anyway, my middle name, working on that all the time. Uh, also tonight on the program, I'm gonna be talking about how cesarean sections may increase the risk of obesity. We hear a lot about cesarean sections. Uh, you know, is it better medicine? Uh, Cesarean sections may um, prevent pelvic floor problems in women, so lots of controversy around that and some new information as to uh, why that may be, you may need to consider obesity as a risk factor for when you consider doing a cesarean section, which has certainly saved a lot of lives. Also, I'm going to be talking about medical care for transgender patients. And uh, there's some uh, limited experience bias treatment going on. So we're going to talk about that in a study that uh, underscores some of that information. And uh, interestingly enough, I had a woman in my clinical practice who has had two affairs with uh, married men. This particular person's married as well. Um, But she came to this aha moment that she was actually saving the marriage of the man she's fallen in love with so there's also uh, some information around that as well and why is it that when a man has an extramarital affair it's actually the woman who's having the affair with that is saving his marriage we'll talk about that as well Uh, many women blame the other woman I, i was always intrigued by this you know women go crazy on the other woman but they let the man their husband And it's not to say that only men have extramarital affairs. Women do as well. Women don't tend to get caught like men do. I'm not sure why that is. Um, Perhaps it has something to do with... um uh, no, I won't say that. But, uh, oh, Matt, do you have, you know, I have some...
1: No, I don't. <laughs> I'm just curious how, how do you know that women don't get caught as much as men? Because you said that a couple <laughs> times and I'm like...
0: Because women are sneakier, Matt. Women are smarter. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, didn't you see all the studies this week? The children get their intelligence from the mother. Um, I'm not surprised. You know, My mother is a very not, smart well, woman. You know, the thing is that um, uh, nobody expects, number one, nobody expects women to have extramarital affairs. And, and, and... Which is unbelievable because people will say, uh, you know, they they don't even think who men are having extramarital affairs with. So they automatically they let the women off the hook. Right. So no one's expecting it. Um, And secondly, women actually are far more careful, you find, with password protection and and also women investigate. Their husbands—they have a tendency, you know. You really don't see guys unless they're suspicious that their wife is having an affair. But they're not—they don't even think to go and check their phone or check their email account or check their LinkedIn account or check, uh, you know, any one of their social medias or text messages that may come in. I've had women say, "I figured out my husband's password on his phone." Like, I mean, it's—it's (laughs) brilliance. It's absolute genius. Um, But you know, I mean, that's not easy to do. Uh, so, but, but certainly there, there's sort of hints that are left around or they may use the same password over and over. I so mean, you're
1: saying I should change my password from one, two, three, four.
0: I think, I think, uh, it's about time. <laughs> um, absolutely. Also going to be talking about, uh, women and alcohol, you know, alcoholism is, uh, a big problem today, and you'll, you'll be surprised at something that it is related to. I learned a lot about alcoholism from somebody I sat next to on a plane. I was really interested in what rock bottom meant, the term rock bottom. And I, I saw some of these patients in my clinical practice, and they just seemed to be living these wild lives, and nothing seemed to make them want to stop drinking. But alcohol has an entirely different effect on women, and I'm going to be talking about that tonight as well. As I said, I'm going to be talking about um, that one particular product uh, down. That's that's down there. Well, a few of them are down there. Actually, all the products are are for down there, except for one. That's that feels like a facelift. One. Uh, Have you heard of that, Matt? Feels like a facelift. Come on. Yeah,
1: I've just on the show here. I have. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh well, have I ever talked about it before? No, or not on this show. maybe I'm thinking
1: about commercials on TV. Then no,
0: I think you're thinking about it on HealthWorks Radio. It's uh, that must. It's on oh, the, that, that's yes. it. I hear
1: that. I hear that all the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. So I was actually given some feels like a facelift, and I'm given a lot. I tell you, and sometimes I, I don't actually use things, and uh, and and it's often I give it out on on the air, and so I happened to put this in a big basket in my bathroom, you know, perhaps a couple of months ago, and then I just thought on Thursday night I thought. I'm going to try this feels like a facelift. What? What is it even? I didn't even know what it was. And I take it all on Thursday night. I take it all out of this eye cream. There's a mask. There's eye cream. There's night cream. There's day cream. I'm like a, you know, water, shampoo, and, you know, Lubriderm uh, moisturizer. People are like, what's your routine? I'm like, I don't have a routine. You know, I'm just like trying to survive in life. So I have no time for that. But I had a few extra minutes and I did the whole shooting match. And I put the eye cream and the face cream (laughs) and the night cream and, you know, slathered it all over. And the next morning I had a meeting and, um, with a, a man, you know, I'm sure men don't have to put up with this in business meetings, but, uh, you know, people aren't commenting on their skin. But this man says to me, um, oh, I don't know if you've ever had any work done or not, but you have beautiful skin. And I'm like, I just started laughing. I just burst out laughing. And he said, why are you laughing? And I said, well, because I used Feels Like a Facelift for the first time last night. Nobody ever tells me I have beautiful skin. And anyway, so uh, I had to laugh at that. But Feels Like a Facelift, you might want to try that, ladies, um, if you want to. I mean, the the uh, meeting went uh, to hell in a handbasket from there. But after that, it, it got progressively worse. Not easy for women in business sometimes. Someday I'll share all that information with you, but uh, I have to get a little bit further away from that meeting for me to do that. Uh, What if you end up marrying the wrong person? Uh, What happens then? Uh, You know, we we tend to do that, and that's not something that's that uncommon. Uh, So we're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight as well. And um, more importantly, I'm going to be talking with uh, Dr. John Weisler. He is in the studio tonight. He's a cardiologist, and uh, and and he's a great guy. He's very intelligent as well, for a man especially. I'm kidding. Um, but anyway, he's going to be talking about uh, something that's nearly broken my heart this week. It's about sex and your heart and older men. And it's even worse, guys, if you're older and you like sex. I don't know. Hopefully the cardiologist is going to help us out with that. So when I return, it's your heart, it's sex, it's old guys, and, uh, and it's Maureen McGrath. And you're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. I am your host. I'm a registered nurse, a blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink. My website is backtothebedroom.ca. I had a little feedback from somebody that uh, there's a lot of information on my website about women, but not enough for men. And I'm taking that feedback. And uh, so watch for my upcoming, pun intended, blog called Straight Up, and that is a blog for you guys, okay? Uh, But at the moment, my web designer has uh, had an injury, and uh, so I'm sending out great uh, get well wishes to my web designer tonight uh, to get well, and I told him, of course, I would wait for him, so not to worry. So if you could be a bit patient, uh, we will definitely have uh, something up for you guys on the website and some more information around, especially around erectile dysfunction, which seems to be a big issue for a lot of people and uh, or a lot of men and uh, premature ejaculation is another one and testosterone. So I'm going to be uh, writing lots about that. So stay tuned, my friends. Uh, you'll see that soon. But right now I am honored to have Dr. John Weisler in the studio with me. He's a cardiologist. He works at uh, Lionsgate Hospital. He's also, uh, he does some work with some of the our sports teams around here, the BC Lions and uh, uh, the other one. <laughs>
2: Vancouver Whitecaps.
0: <laughs> the Whitecaps, that was it. That was actually the one I uh, wanted to say initially. But uh, Dr. Weisler, welcome to the studio. It's
2: great. Uh, thanks for having me, Maureen. Uh, great to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, thanks for coming into the station uh, to talk about this because you can see my heart went pitter-patter when I read this, the, the title of this study, mm-hmm. which is, Is Sex Good for Your Health? A National Study on Partnered sexuality and cardiovascular risk among older men and women uh this was uh, quite uh, quite the shocking study a couple of things that were a little bit counterintuitive one one of them was that uh of course I'm, I'm always promoting uh having sex sex is good for you release of endorphins decreases stress decreases anxiety uh makes you feel closer to your partner intimate like sex is, you know, never ends. I believe I said that in my TEDx Stanley Park talk, but it looks like (laughs) there are more benefits for women, uh, and women tend to have lower sexual desire as women uh, get into the 70s and 80s, uh, and men tend to have more, but it looks like... uh, Sex might be dangerous for men; might increase their risk of cardiovascular disease, especially if they like sex. And and what guy doesn't yeah. like sex? Is there a guy out there that doesn't like sex? Call me. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: I mean, I mean, uh, I think this study probably is concerning to a to a sexpert for sure. Uh, this, uh, I, I would, I would you know reassure you this is it's it's a i think it's a well done study but it's a difficult study to to read it's complicated and I would say that this shows on a like an association not a causation so what what this this is published by a group out of the states and they they looked at something like two thousand people and they measured um like they they put them through questionnaires and looked at how often they're having sex and how much they enjoyed sex in both men and women. And they also looked at a number of different um, you know, risk factors, so high blood pressure and some blood blood parameters and the presence of cardiac disease. And then they looked at them again five years later, and they, they looked to see you know, if the uh, people in the study had reported being active and how sexually active they were and what that predicted in terms of the cardiac risk. Five years later, uh, and and what's worth remembering is that these studies are difficult to do, and that they confound. They you know they look for a number of different. Um, they try to pull out a number of other variables to try and show you know whether uh, frequency of sex and enjoying sex is linked to heart disease, and so it does kind of get muddied. So this is sort of hypothesis generating rather than proving anything, uh, I, I think. Anyways, but <clears throat> what the study showed is that. For older men, and this is, I think, 50, 57 yeah, to 57 85. 57 to 85, thank you. Yep. Yep. Uh, for, for men in that range, if they didn't have sex or if they had sex, what they termed as infrequently, which was, for the study purposes, once a month, they had a lower baseline risk of cardiovascular disease. And then if they had sex more frequently, so two to three times a month or more than that, it actually predicted an in, or was associated with an increased risk of heart disease in those, in those men.
0: And, and cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability in, yeah. both, in both, men both men and, and women, women. Yeah, right? right uh here in Canada as well so um, so this uh, w- would this change uh, you see patients who obviously have had a heart attack and they're concerned about yeah. having sex afterward? I get that question. Very commonly in my clinical practice, all the time. Yeah, and uh, so does that? Does this change things at all? Somebody who has a history of cardiovascular disease.
2: I don't know if it's
0: enough to change my practice yet. I mean, it is kind of
2: interesting. I mean, just like you said, we've had the message for the longest time that sex is good on many levels, both emotional and spiritual, and certainly physical. And and and, you know, how could this happen? Why would this? Why would these findings be seen? And and. We don't know the answer, and, and I think until you know we have a better understanding of how this might happen, I don't know that's going to change how I counsel patients. But you know, there's a number of different uh, ideas proposed as to why these findings were seen, and they're all pretty interesting. You know, they they say they make the point that you know men um, society expects men to be sexually active and have to prove themselves, so they they tend to report more sexual activities and perhaps even overreport, and then also. You know, they, they uh,
0: and women are shamed about their the right. amount of it's, sex it's that they have, so message. they have a tendency to
2: underreport. Yep, a uh, very different, exactly, a very That's different right. message. And then, and then, you know, men are also expected to orgasm or climax or to say that they enjoyed sex. So
0: every yeah. single time, yeah. and women are not. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I'm again, trying to change that.
2: Again, you have this bias. But then, if you have these men that have other, you know, medical conditions, that maybe because they're trying so hard, they're actually, you know, putting themselves at risk or, you know, aggravating a pre-existing heart condition, that might be part of the reason that this association was, you know, seen as well. And the
0: other thing is, this is partnered sex. Let's not mm-hmm. let's not forget. Right. So this is not the solo sex that right. uh, that men seem to have, um, you know, hourly. Perhaps right. I'm joking, um, but no. Yeah. But it, it's with partnered sex. So the risk did not seem to be associated with masturbation for that's, example.
2: That's right. That's right. No, this this was a, this these were people that these were people that were in stable relationships in the study. That's right.
0: That's right. And um and they looked at uh, so the blood pressure going up.
2: Yep, so they looked at in addition to the actually having um, you know, actually having a heart attack or a stroke. They also looked at uh, both high blood pressure, which again, did increase uh, with more frequent sex, um, rapid heart rate, which is a predictor for in, in some heart conditions, a predictor of adverse outcomes, and a blood test that we look at called CRP, which is a marker f- of inflammation, and a higher CRP can also sometimes predict an increase in heart disease risk as well. So, and, uh, and
0: they saw all of these mm-hmm. uh, increases in this study, which, is, sex, which right. is concerning. Yeah. And that CRP, that C-reactive protein, is uh, that's more... Um uh, indicative of cardiovascular disease and even cholesterol. Is well, it's 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 levels? right up
2: it's right up there. I mean, I I think uh, both are are pretty pretty important. But the the C reactive protein it measures the level of inflammation in our body. And if you have a high CRP level without some other medical illness, it can imply that you have more atherosclerosis going on. And so yes, it is strongly predictive. And so a higher CRP is bad for sure. It's an adverse predictor.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I mean this definitely this study you know is is. Rich i mean there 's really so much uh, and, and it 's complex really, mm-hmm. and there 's so much um, that you really have to dissect to understand it yeah well, i think uh, I think what
2: how how this study what I hope it will do is generate you know some more some more studies as to why exactly this this happens i mean this is an interesting Uh, association. But, you know, and and the authors uh, make some good points, you know, is it is there a biologic mechanism? Is it the strain that, you know, these these men having a lot of sex that they're putting on themselves either to try and, you know, to, to, to um, find sex more fulfilling an orgasm, for example, is it that strain that is putting them at risk? Or is it that they're you know, is it something more societal or relationship-based? Are their relationships poor? Are they trying to have more sex to rescue that relationship? And the poor relationship also puts their heart at risk. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting all the different reasons why this might have been found and, and trying to sort that out will be very interesting.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to ask you to stay in the studio. we want to talk about a few more things when I pleasure. come back. Uh, so hope you'll stay with me. When I come back, I'm going to talk about some of those products. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I'm Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the area of sexual health. I'm in clinical practice in North Vancouver and in Vancouver. uh, Although I'm in between offices in Vancouver, I must confess. So I will certainly let you know uh, if uh, my new address when it happens. Uh, in a little bit of flux. No, we just had to move offices, but uh, so I think something's going to be firmed up by the end of the month. So if you are one of my patients, fear not, I will be back. Uh, So anyway, just to let you know that. There's something else I wanted to put out there as well. If somebody out there, uh, if you've perhaps uh, emailed me or called me and left a message, I just want you to know that sometimes messages on my phone only last 10 days. Matt, do you have that problem?
1: I just don't check my
0: voicemail. I know, you know, but sometimes I I actually said to a patient, "Can you do me a favor? Call back, leave me a message, and I'll get it out to you." And uh, and I know she did that. And I the ten days were is up, so feel free. The number's on my website. You can call me on that number, and that'll go directly to my voicemail. So. I'm not ignoring you. I'm not, uh, it's just that sometimes, yeah, it's tough on a voicemail.
1: Yeah, I'm an email or text or nothing. Yeah,
0: and some people don't have email. Some of my patients, especially, don't, they're not on the computer, uh, which is a good thing when you hear about the uh, sex toy I'm going to talk about a little bit later. You can give me a call if you have any questions at all. The number to call is 604 280 9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can email me, sex talk at cknw.com. I'm going to be reading some of your emails tonight. And uh, don't worry, everything is anonymous. Uh, so you don't have to write, this isn't me <laughs> at the bottom or something like that. So I can actually see your email address, but i am it's all anonymous. So you never have to worry about that. If you don't change your name, I likely will. So uh, not to worry because sex can be very embarrassing for people. People don't want... Um, people to think differently of them or judge them. Shame is such a, a difficult emotion in this world and i and I really think it's one of the biggest causes of troubles in our lives, and especially with um uh emotional health and sometimes medical health uh so I really think that shame you know stops us in so many ways. Uh, and you know, we, we often judge others and, or we, or we perceive something about somebody else and it may or may not be accurate. Today I ran into somebody and I asked her how her children were. And and she told me that one of her children was transitioning. And, uh, I thought how, how great that is that, uh, she can talk about it. Uh, she, had a full understanding of it. She said that the community and, and the teachers and the friends and everybody has been tremendously supportive of her child transitioning. Her, so her child is transgendered. And transgender is the umbrella term that is used to describe people who don't identify with their biological or so-called assigned sex according to the american psychological association a person who is transgender has an internal sense of being man, of being a man or a woman or something outside of these categories so it's it's really about expression of sexuality it's about expressing the person you are within and i've had transgender patients come to me in my clinical practice and um I deliver care, you know, I'm used to delivering care based on the evidence, based on the literature, based on clinical trials and research. And sometimes those are uh, non existent, especially when it comes to treating transgendered patients, and it makes delivery of medical care that much more challenging. A paper out this month has found that doctors and therapists in the U.S. often face limited knowledge and bias when dealing with transgender people. And so that means that medical professionals, healthcare professionals, physicians, are struggling to give transgender patients the best medical care because of a lack of expertise and experience. And this study is out of the Appalachian State University in North Carolina. It was published this month in SAGE. It examined interviews with healthcare workers around the country, and it found that medical providers are face- facing vast amounts of uncertainty, which is very unsettling, especially not only for the patients, incredibly unsettling for the patient, but the patient may not even realize that, but it can be very stressful for a healthcare provider, a physician, often physicians are are perfectionists. And uh, and so this can make it uh, even that much more challenging. Some of the current guidelines to treat transgendered patients carry very little scientific evidence to actually demonstrate that they work. And this was um, realized in this particular uh, report that came out in SAGE. And the narrow, the medical community has a narrow definition of what it means to be trans, and that exacerbates the issue. So the research that was done. Um, began by asking what happened when there's no scientific evidence and little clinical expertise or experience to base medical decisions. So this um, this author of this study, and he's a professor of um, sociology, actually this um, professor of sociology is they. Uh, the name is Steph Schuster, uh, an assistant professor of sociology at Appalachian State University. So this particular person prefers to be referred to as they and that's very common for trans people um, trans individuals they want to be referred to as they and that's along that uh, sexuality um, on, on along uh, its sexuality is fluid gender is fluid and that's that um, um, that's their preference for being termed that often trans people will seek to change their physical appearance and, or biology to resemble the identified gender known as sex or gender reassignment surgery. So it's not a, definitely a straightforward process and may require lots of meetings with doctors and therapists, and, and then the, the decisions about uh, uh, transitioning also, uh, it's, it can be a collective decision between the healthcare professionals, the family, the... the Person who is transitioning as well, and and sometimes uh, some of the healthcare practitioners made the decisions themselves. They stayed within the existing guidelines. They were very um, dogmatic in their approach, and they they didn't leave any um, room for discussion. Uh, and sometimes they would not make the recommendation uh, that the person could transition. Uh, because they felt that, you know, they were afraid that if they went outside of the guidelines, the current guidelines, that the person may wake up on the um, operating room table and saying, you know, who are you and what are you doing to me? So um, more recently, trans people's understandings of, their, of themselves, their bodies, uh, have become more fluid, and this cross-gender transitioning is not always the ultimate goal, and that was certainly realized in this study as well. So there's, you know, it's very important that um, the patient uh, in this case, for lack of a better term, or the person who is transitioning have some role in this. This study interviewed 23 doctors and psychologists who have chosen to work in transgender medicine. And many had entered the field because they personally knew somebody uh, who was transitioning and had difficulty finding a provider to treat them and some only a couple actually ex- worked exclusively with trans people and one of the healthcare professionals identified us as, as trans so according to the study uncertainty about how to best treat a trans patient was something that was regularly experienced by all of the respondents and to cope with this uncertainty providers use the guidelines to help inform their decisions, but the study found that some providers closely followed the guidelines, as I said, and others were more flexible, and then there was also kind of a case-by-case interpretation. And so what we really need to do here is actually increase the body of knowledge uh, that we have around treating trans individuals and uh, and that's through research, and that's why research is so important. And we need to uh, really incorporate trans people in uh, to this research, and and also bring them. Uh, you know, they can help uh, to give the information uh, so that they can be, um, you know, very supportive for other people uh, that are going through. Uh, from a trans patient perspective, healthcare encounters might feel easier, according to this study. To negotiate if providers stopped em- emphasizing such a narrow definition of transgender. So, we need to open up this dialogue once again, start this conversation, continue this conversation. We need so much more research. Uh, doctors and, and and therapists need to be much less de- dogmatic and also allow these trans patients to take ownership in their own health care and along their journey in life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath. I am uh, uh, the woman <laughs> hosting this show. I don't want to say I'm the host of the show because that would be, uh, I've been corrected. And you're absolutely correct in that. Um, I, uh, I, I am hosting this show is that grammatically correct. And I actually do like to. Uh, be grammatically correct. Anyway, on and on. If you have a question uh, for me, uh, by all means, give me a call. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Um, No question is out of bounds. Uh, Do be respectful, though. That's always greatly appreciated. Um, I do have some prizes to give out uh, tonight, and it's based on a question that I received, uh, from one of my listeners. So, uh, you can call me at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. I suppose I should read that first before I give out that prize, but, um, I did want to cover C-sections and the increased risk that there might be. Uh, with regard to obesity. Obesity is such a huge issue in the world today, and if you ever travel to America, my goodness, uh, the double-wide seats they have in doctor's offices, the uh, shortage of extra-large sweatshirts they have at Safeco Field in Seattle, the uh, it, it's uh, noticeable everywhere. Matt, do you think?
1: I remember going to Vegas <laughs> and going to the food court with my girlfriend and just seeing the, the tables and the seats, and there could have been... Two of me and two of her sharing one
0: seat. Absolutely. They are mandated in doctor's offices to have, I think it's 20% of the seats in the office, uh, in the waiting room, uh, double the size. So, uh, and that's with the salty foods and all of the large portions and um, the chocolate covered strawberries on a six foot long stick down at Safeco Field uh and uh all the pasta i mean they give massive amounts i w- i went to eat one time there at uh oh what's the um what's the restaurant the pasta restaurant it's oh olive garden olive garden somebody i was with was recovering from surgery and i said well why don't we go to olive garden and went in there and first of all they were uh serving it was 11:30 so we got in there just before the lunch uh, the the lunch rush uh, serving everybody wine okay and these people were there were it was loaded and they all had their oxygen tanks and they're getting free wine it's 11:30 and we ordered fettuccine alfredo the person that I was with ordered fettuccine alfredo and I ordered a salad which was actually good and we shared it and that actually is quite nice. But the person who ordered the fettuccine alfredo didn't like it. And he just happened to say he didn't like it. And they said, well, we're going to take it off your bill. We're not even going to charge you for it. So, I mean, literally, uh, there were, we went home with take home meals, salads for two, uh, free wine. The bill was $10. I mean, so you can't afford not to become extremely obese with prices like that at the Olive Garden. Um, You know, and that's the, there's so much food that is served. Uh, So obesity, getting back to the beginning, the beginning of life, Uh, When it all may begin, which is uh, so there's a large new study by Harvard public health researchers that discovered individuals born by Caesarean section were 15% more likely to become obese as children than individuals born by vaginal birth. Investigators found the increased risk may persist throughout adulthood and individuals born via cesarean section were 64% more likely to be obese than their siblings born by vaginal birth. So this is something else to consider when you are going to have or you're going to decide upon having a cesarean section versus a vaginal delivery. This study appeared online in the uh, Journal of American Medicine Association's Pediatrics. Researchers also discovered individuals born via vaginal birth among women who had undergone a previous cesarean delivery were 31% less likely to become obese compared with those born via cesarean birth following a cesarean. Birth, So, with a VBAC, which is what it's called, it's a uh, vaginal birth after cesarean, you're actually less likely to be obese. So, experts believe the association between cesarean deliveries and obesity should be transparent to all the stakeholders. That's the mom, the the, the father, the partner, the spouse, whomever, um, and the physician and the healthcare provider. So, uh, something to consider. Anyway, we're going to head to break and when I come back, we're going to... Talk a little bit more about this sex thing. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show here on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, a clinician, and uh, hosting this show every Sunday night. I come to you live to talk about sex and relationships. And I had an interesting email from somebody from Ireland, of all places. Recently, I did a TEDx Stanley Park talk at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. That was on May 28th. There's there's actually been about, there's been over 400,000 views in the last eight or nine weeks. Um, which is uh, not bad. And I've had lots of emails from people from around the world. I really think I hit a nerve with this sexless marriage thing. It was something that I uh, had a sense about. Of course, I know and understand the statistics around it and the definitions of a sexless marriage, which is sex less than 10 times a year. um, And also uh, how... Uh, common it is and, and the issues that surround it, like medical conditions and gender identity issues, genital mutilation, sexual abuse and sexual trauma as a child or at any time in one's life. Anxiety will impact uh, a, a person's uh, desire for sex or um, a, and also um, unresolved conflict is something else. Expression of sexuality is something else that will impact sex in a relationship or a marriage, and, and I see this. I've been in clinical practice for 14 years in this field, and I've, I've heard all of it, uh, and I and I just got the sense uh, that sex in marriages was a tremendous issue, and in fact, it's the number two issue, most contentious issue, I should say, and number one is finances. Uh, it's the number two uh, contentious issues and, uh, issue, and there are so many comments. There's over a thousand comments on this TEDx Stanley Park talk, and, and they're addictive actually to uh, to read them. They're just amazing. It's a slice of life that you would not think, but but this is so common, and I'm going to be talking about why we marry the wrong person in the second half of the program and, and uh, why it is that we don't understand ourselves and and why we end up with particular people and, and sex never really, nobody really talks about it, and we, and we think oh, you know, I could live with this person, I could Stay with this person. I could be married. This person, I want to have children or, or whatever. I want to have a better life or I like their family or whatever. But uh, I, I uh, have a, an email nonetheless as a result of that TEDx talk. Uh, just about somebody who wants to meet someone. Hi, Maureen. My name is Jose. I am a Spanish native, and for the last 13 years, I am residing in Dublin. I discovered your TEDx talk, and after finding out you were Irish, I decided to ask you this question, for which I would really appreciate your attention, please. I came to Ireland at age 29, am now 43, and since I have arrived, experience after experience, I have ended up unable to speak to women. This was not like this before. I found out that Irish women never ask men out with any form of romantic purpose or intimacy. And because men are the ones expected to do this always, I've been the one rejected countless times and I've encountered many narcissistic women who just wanted to see if I was interested just to withdraw any attention they put on me before. Many many times I've seen myself confused by this. For example, when I finally met someone and got an agreement to meet up, canceling one hour before the meeting, has been extremely common. After two, three, or four days, waiting for the day to arrive is really common. Today, I feel ashamed of myself. I think because the message is, I'm not enough for Irish women, and they just treat me as a puppet. I've been five years single, and today no woman speaks to me. I've been in therapy for this reason for a couple of years, but the Irish therapists don't know what to say to me. One of them particularly, she was a woman of about my age. All I got from her was silence. My frustration grew up, and today it's very difficult for me to look at them in the face or the eyes. I say to myself that it's games that Irish women play, and I think I'm right, but I feel ashamed anyways. I feel like a broken man. Helpless, sexless, having tried a thousand times but unable to consolidate. Maureen, what would you recommend? Leaving Ireland, do you think that women should keep delegating the task of asking out to men only or they should contribute whenever they feel attraction? I'm going to answer that when I come back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW.